binge watching is the new thing to do. And premiering March 4th exclusively on CBS All Access, the second season of The Good Fight takes it to a whole new level. If you haven't tuned in to The Good Fight on CBS All Access, you're missing out. Get yourself caught up and binge the critically acclaimed first season of the series before season two premieres on March 4th. From the award-winning executive producers, Michelle and Robert King, season two of The Good Fight is set in a world that is going insane. Diane, Luca, Maya, and the rest of the Chicago-based law firm find themselves under psychological assault when a client at another firm kills his lawyer for overcharging. And after a copycat murder, the firm begins to look at its own clients suspiciously. More drama, more scandal, more Christine Baranski. If you haven't seen season one of The Good Fight, you need to get CBS All Access now and catch up on this binge-worthy, critically acclaimed show. And you can also see the new Star Trek. Discover the drama, the excitement, and get yourself geared up for season two, available only on CBS All Access. Hurry to cbs.com slash friends for your free trial of CBS All Access and get caught up now ahead of the season premiere on March 4th. That's cbs.com slash friends for your free trial of CBS All Access. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox and welcome to another episode of With Friends Like These, a show about the possibilities and limits of friendship and a show in which we have uncomfortable but often rewarding conversations. Uh, Today's conversation was weirdly uncomfortable considering the fact it was with a good friend of mine who I have discussed the topics at hand with quite a bunch. It's a conversation with McKay Coppins. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic and the author of the book, The Wilderness, Deep Inside the Republican Party's Combative, Contentious, Chaotic Quest to Take Back the White House. Previously, he spent four years at BuzzFeed covering American politics, where he made his name covering Governor Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential run. He contributes regularly to CNN and MSNBC. The made his name covering Mitt Romney's run sort of makes me smile, and I know it makes him smile because, yeah, he he got known for covering Romney because McKay was the other Mormon on the bus. And that's what he and I got to talk about. What it's like being a person of faith, covering faith among colleagues who are often uncomfortable talking about faith. McKay Coppins, coming right up. McKay Coppins, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So um, let's get the news out of the way first. Like we've started on the sort of, um, uh, you know, lowest level of difficulty for both of us. (laughs) Sure. Which is, so Romney, he apparently is running for Senate. He's back. He he both seems like he never went away, and yet I'm also surprised to see him. (laughs) I was just telling somebody that he was like such a part of my life when I for for so long when I was covering his campaign, his presidential campaign, and now it's it's like I got sent back to high school or something. Are you like, gonna I'm move like in repeating. with your parents? Yeah, exactly. I'm like <laughs> repeating this whole experience again. I don't know how I feel about it. Well, what do you think? I mean, I, I guess the thing that people have been talking about the most is that he had a very full-throated denunciation of Trump. Okay, well, so he's had a complicated history with Trump, right? right. Or maybe not so complicated. Maybe it's all very <laughs> explainable by by just expediency. He accepted Trump's uh, endorsement, which I remember at the time was weird. It, it was super weird. It was one of the—in a very strange campaign, although we didn't even know what was coming. It was a hint of what's to come in mm-hmm. some ways because it was a very Trumpy event. Yep. 
where um, they didn't want even you really want media there, right? They well, they did. So I was at that event, okay. and it was in Las Vegas. It was at Trump's hotel, um, and I remember they, you know, Trump was like wandering around the lobby, uh, talking to like every reporter who would listen to him, and, and and kept being like, "Have you ever seen an event this big? This is the biggest endorsement event he's ever had, right?" And, and you know, kept asking everyone for validation and. <laughs> Um, but Romney was literally on the premises for like 15 minutes tops. Right. Like he went up on stage, accepted the endorsement. It was super awkward. Like you could tell Romney just wanted to like disappear from the stage. He was like very rigid and and sort of like shaking his hand but trying to, you know, like angle away from the camera. And I think s- spoke for like three minutes and then left and brought his traveling press corps and they left, they flew away. Right. They really, for an endorsement, they really minimized the attention it got. So right. why do you think that, so does that give us any insight into, into his later relationships with Trump or? Well, I, yeah, I, I think that the reality of their relationship is that they don't like each other. Right. But for all these various reasons, they keep getting kind of pulled back to each other. Right. <laughs> Basically, they're both Republicans. Um, Are they, though? Well, they're so— Are di- they both Republicans? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because if you want to see how fractured— the the party is, is and how ideologically incoherent it is yeah. that those two men are both Republicans. Right. <laughs> like, the, I mean, you couldn't talk about two different people, two different like ideologies. Even they're they're very. I, I think the I'll things, go ahead and say it. Lifestyles, certainly. If lifestyles. anything, I wanted to tell you. I told you I wanted to avoid making Mormon jokes, but one of them has had many wives, and it's not the Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> that that joke was made many times. Okay. Uh, yes. No. I, I mean, yeah. Like the, it's it's easy to see how they don't, why they wouldn't like each other, why they wouldn't get along, but it's also you know. In in 2012, he accepted the endorsement because he didn't want Trump to go endorse Newt Gingrich or right. whoever his main opponent was, right? Um, and then that was over. And then in 2016, Romney emerged as this full-throated critic of Trump and gave that famous speech it, where he called him a phony and a People on the podcast cannot see me, like, squinching my eyes <laughs> being like, right, full-throated <laughs> critic. Mm. Well, in 2016, he was. Mm. Except then. Well, right. So that I mean, that's the thing. He never endorsed him. He gave these the, this like blistering speech. He kept giving interviews. Remember his he, tweeting. He kept tweeting. He kept tweeting. He had this interview with. He, and he said stuff that was like made people all like, oh, man, Mitt Romney. Yeah. I well, missed that guy. That had kind of already started to happen right. because of that documentary on Netflix. Remember, it had started to kind of re- rehabilitate him. But then, yeah, definitely in 2016. And then. After the election, so then Trump won, which no one thought was going to happen, certainly not Mitt Romney and not really Donald Trump either. Um, and then uh, and then the next time Romney showed up, he was, you know, at dinner with <laughs> with Trump in, in New York City, eating frog legs and talking about becoming secretary of state. Smiling supernaturally. <laughs> so, so, very... so uncomfortably. <laughs> the whole event was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and now, um, audience, I'm doing my imitation of Mitt Romney smiling over frog legs. Um, well, the, 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 Trump, the Trump smirk in that picture is actually, I think, more telling. Um, and then in the past year, Romney has been mostly on the sidelines, but has like occasionally popped up to criticize Trump, you know, after Charlottesville. He went out, you know, he came out pretty strongly against Roy Moore after Trump endorsed him. 
So there have been like a couple moments, but mostly he's just been, you know, a retired guy. <laughs> who is secretly, not so secretly planning a who running was, for Who was Senate. exploring a Senate run in Utah and now he's running. And then the most recent twist in the in the Trump Romney saga is Trump endorsed him on Twitter, and Romney said, "Thank you for your support, Mr. President. I hope I can win the support of Utah voters over the next year or something like now, that." Now, and so this is what makes it hard to kind of take him at his word. Take, of course, we don't take the president at his word, but. Romney agreeing to this endorsement. He actually, I mean, didn't he do a tweet that he said he wouldn't want the endorsement? Well, in 2016, he, he did, said he yeah. wouldn't have accepted his endorsement in 2012 if he'd known about Trump what he knows now or Which, something like that. This but was, now he knows what he knows about Trump. And then Trump he accepted and, it. Yeah, I mean, I like there was a lot of— In Utah, let me so let's get to the let's get to the part that you actually can speak to more than sure. just punditizing, which is like Utah hates Trump. Yes. Like, he does especially poorly uh, among uh, Mormon voters, Mm -hmm. like, as a conservative. Yes. So did Romney need to play nice about this? Well, he didn't need the endorsement. Right. I think actually the endorsement—what I've heard talking to people close to Romney is that he actually—this was a problem for him. Like, he didn't want the endorsement. But then at the same time, I think basically they made the pragmatic— decision that picking a fight with him over an endorsement was not worth it. Um, And so they were like, let's just try to, like, make this go away quickly and I'll just tweet a quick thing. Um, But no, I mean, that's what's so weird about this whole situation is that the whole kind of at least what everyone thought was the premise of Romney's candidacy in Utah was that he could be the, you know, the pillar of never Trump conservatism, Republicanism, right? Um, but and even last year when I was reporting on Romney exploring a Senate bid, the people who had been talking to him told me that that was one of the the reasons he was even thinking about coming out of because retirement. he wanted to be an, a never Trump right. conservative. He wanted he, to show he wanted to the, take his party right. back from Donald Trump. He wanted to do what he could to staunch the the spread of Trumpism, however you define that. Um, and and I think. I mean, look, here's the reality. The, a couple things. One is that Don, that, that Mitt Romney is not, like, temperamentally suited to the grandstanding Senate floor speech, the fire and brimstone tirades. Even that speech that he famously gave in 2016 against Trump was it was it felt uh, out of character for him, you know, not because of the substance of it, just the, him giving that kind of speech seemed weird, you know. And so I, I think that anybody who's hoping that Mitt Romney is going to be like this champion of the resistance is going to be disappointed. I do think that he has a brand of republicanism of Utah style conservatism in particular, and I, that frankly, I think that means Mormon conservatism in a way that he does want to champion. He, the video that he released announcing his Senate candidacy was all about that. Um, and he took these like barely veiled digs at Trump in that video. I think that he wants to avoid direct combat with Trump because he doesn't want to. Not because it's politically expedient, because frankly, he's going to win with or without Trump, you know, in Utah, probably the only red state where that's true. Um, But because he doesn't want to define himself, for better or worse, as a candidate or as a senator by his relationship with Donald Trump. I don't know if that's actually possible in this political climate that we're in, but he is apparently going to try. 
Like it, Trump is either you could say he's the sun, or or probably more accurately, he's the sucking black hole <laughs> of our politics. Right. That you have to define yourself. You're, in relationship to it's just it's the it's probably inevitable, and he knows he must know that he's going to come to the Senate and spend every single day getting questions from reporters on Capitol Hill about the latest Trump utterance. Does right? he know that? So you you've done this reporting. Like, do you think that his vision for what kind of senator he can be is actually based in reality? Yeah, I, I think he's he's not a dumb guy. So no, he knows, I don't he think knows he is, what but... he knows what Senate the reality of of that part of it. And I think on some level he wants to be asked about every Trump utterance because he probably will continue to speak out when he wants to. But I also think that I have questions about how much he's going to like being a senator. He, he's, he's, you know, an executive. It's not like being a governor. It's not like being a governor. I think he really it's not liked like being, being president at all. Right. Either. I think he really liked being a governor. I think he would have liked being a president to the extent that anyone actually likes being a president. They they like the you know, I think he would have liked the job. I um, think so too. I think I he's temperamentally much more like Hillary Clinton yeah, in some yes, ways than he I, is. I think that's true. <laughs> like um, for the other recent examples of presidents. Like right. he, um, he likes kind of running things and making good meritocratic decisions. And and, and this is the thing that I think technocrats he is and, a techn- he is yeah. a technocrat, right? Yeah. Part of the reason that he's always been He's always been kind of identified as a flip-flopper is because he does ultimately just want to, like, bear down and get stuff done and make the compromises you need to get, you know, make to get stuff done. And in Massachusetts, he did it all the time. And he wants the systems and institutions to work. Yes, exactly. And that's actually maybe a really smooth transition to Mormon conservatism. Mm, Yes. Which is what you said. You said uh, Utah conservatism, which is frankly Mormon conservatism. So – you yourself are a member of the LDS Church, which – so I actually keep saying LDS because that's the Church of Latter-day Saints right. in case people aren't – Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Saints. Thank you. Full name. <laughs> because I have heard that actually saying Mormon is not the yeah, politically – correct term. I guess technically that's true. Um, yes. No, more, uh, the, the church made like a big effort 10 years ago f- to – um, or, or maybe more than 10 years ago to s- get people to stop calling us Mormons because they wanted to element uh, or emphasize the Christian element of the faith. And they realized that a huge number of people didn't even realize Mormons were Christian. Um, and then it just didn't really work. And I've kind of embraced I'm fine with being called a Mormon. <laughs> I don't really care. But some people do prefer I, – I always notice when non-Mormons – use LDS, I can tell that they're trying to be respectful. So it is an indication of respect. So they, I appreciate I try it. To be, I'm trying. I, I'm I also trying. don't mind, though, if you use Mormon in this conversation. I mean, it is also, it's like an impossible battle because it is like. Well, it's like, been the whole, the whole history of the faith. We've been called Mormons. I think we can just lean into it. And I think the church has started to figure that out. <laughs> Take it back. Like, yeah, exactly. Take it back. <laughs> You're reclaiming it. Um, so, but I wanted to, so let's talk specifically about what that means to be a Mormon conservative and how that is different than and then evangelical mm-hmm. if it is different um and and what where where that what that means for you know conservatives in general right now yeah there are a lot of different threads you could follow here i'll, I'll first i would say one interesting thing is the reason that mormons were so averse to donald trump in 2016 um and it's because so just just to lay it out 
I think it, there there was data that showed that the more Mormons were in a given precinct in the Republican primaries, the more poorly Donald Trump did. He lost Utah. He came in last in the Utah primaries. And this was after it was pretty clear he was going to be the nominee. He got like 14 percent of the state. And then even in 2016, uh, in, in the general, um, Mormons were the only religious group in America to substantially change their vote, their voting patterns. So in 2012, 80-something percent of Mormons had supported Mitt Romney. In 2008, 70-something percent had supported John McCain. Which people are going to say, because I know we get the number coming. Go ahead and say that number. Donald Trump won 51.5%. Which people are going to be like, that's still an awful lot of Mormons. It, but that's a huge it's drop. A hu- it's a huge move. I mean, I, I, I get it. Yes, like it, Mormons are the most reliably Republican religious group in America. So the fact that it dropped from 80 percent to 50 percent says something. Something's happening there. They essentially fielded their own protest candidate in Evan McMullen <laughs> just so that they wouldn't have to vote for Donald Trump. Now I am nodding sweetly. <laughs> Evan. Good old Evan. I like Evan. <laughs> Love it or hate it. There's no denying that you could be shopping better. You either spend all day at the mall and end up with just another striped t-shirt, or you scroll endlessly online just to leave everything in your cart. Now you can shop the productive way and end up with stuff you actually love with Stitch Fix. Whether you're looking to express your personal style, the one you have now, dress for the job you want, or just try something new, like maybe get pushed a little. Stitch Fix can style you on your time, and you don't even have to leave the house. Regular listeners will know how dear to my heart the idea of not leaving the house is. You just fill out the style profile online, and Stitch Fix will send you clothes, shoes, accessories picked just for you, your size, your lifestyle, your budget, and of course, what you like. Each Stitch Fix box contains five items you can try on at home, so you can see what works with your wardrobe. And also, you know, you can see what actually fits Um, because a lot of times, uh, obviously, we don't know if we can't try it on, but trying stuff on in the store is just such a headache. I often, when I go shopping, just kind of stuff things into my bag and take them home to try them on and then sometimes maybe wind up doing a trip back to the store. Stitch Fix it's all in the convenience of your home, own home, and you are the one you can look critically at yourself in the mirror. And if you love it, you keep it. And if you don't, well, you return it. And of course, you only pay for the items you keep. And sending stuff back is easy. There's no trip to the store. Stitch Fix covers shipping both ways for returns and exchanges too. There's no subscription required. You can get your fix monthly, quarterly, or whenever you feel like it. I am a Stitch Fix subscriber going back a couple of years now. Um, I love it. It is a little treat to myself every few months uh, to get something in the mail that is uh, a surprise and yet also often just what I wanted. So get started at stitchfix.com slash friends, and you will also get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash friends to try Stitch Fix today. Stitchfix.com slash friends. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. 
And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut, I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, It's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiancé of Stephon Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. Evan, like the the, min, the newly minted pundit. Yeah, I know like, it's so funny. The, C, the former ta- CIA operative. Yeah, now <laughs> talking, now MSNBC talking at. I love it. Um, Evan Evan McMullen arguably is a more pure embodiment of Mormon uh, like civic attitudes than anyone else. I think. Yeah. Um, but that's also because he doesn't hold any office and, you know, is able to just purely embody it. Yeah, he, he's um, a servant, right? right exactly. I mean, that's actually one element of it is this idea of community and service. So, Mor- Yeah, Mormonism, I think, is one of the th- ways that they have always differed from kind of the latest Tea Party-ish strand of conservatism is that there's not a strong individualistic streak in Mormon politics. It's a very communitarian religion. Um, one of the reasons that Utah works so well as a state. It's is, all lay preachers. Right. right. So the entire. That's actually an important that sort of it, figures into this. The right? entire church is lay volunteer ministers. Right. So like as opposed to uh, most other congregations where you have a professional minister or pastor or priest who's been trained in a divinity school or whatever, um, Mormon Mormons basically just have People take turns in leadership positions for a few years, and then somebody else takes turn, uh, you know, gets the turn. So the bishop of a Mormon ward is usually just like a middle-aged dad who has a full-time job and is doing this on the side for a few years. I think that has a lot of great qualities. It also has some drawbacks. You know, they, they're they not professionally trained in a lot of the situations they end up encountering. But it is it, – it, it continues this kind of strain of service and um, – and, you know, communitarianism uh, that that defines Mormonism. There's also there, it's, there's not a there is a streak. This We could have a whole other conversation about Mormon nationalism. You had a good conversation with uh, Jack uh, or Jenkins. Jenkins, yeah, about, um, Christian, about nationalism. Christian nationalism. And I had a lot of thoughts on that, too. Uh, but. Trump-style nationalism doesn't have a lot of sway in Mormon circles because partly because there's this huge missionary program in the church. A lot of people spend time outside of the outside of the U.S. as missionaries. Uh, immigrant Mormons are shown in surveys to be much more favorable toward immigrants and immigration than other conservatives. So you can run down the list. And- and this is all, this ties into the Mormon history, which in a weird way is a truly American history. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the LDS Church considers the American founding documents to be sacred, sacred divine. religious mm-hmm. documents. Um, and then also they have been persecuted like and no other that, religion yeah. in um, America, quite frankly. That was the other thing I was going to get at, that 
Mormons, I think, were af- were really afraid of Donald Trump in a lot of ways when he came out with this, the the Muslim ban. Um, the only thing that the only time the the LDS Church released a statement commenting on something that happened in the election was after the Muslim ban, where they said, you know, we don't, uh, I can't remember what the exact language was, but basically we don't take sides in partisan politics, but we're strongly in favor of of religious freedom. And that should extend to every religious group in the country. Um, And that's because this was a very eerie echo of Mormon history. Um, In fact, and I can't remember the year, but in the 1800s, a secretary of state actually tried to implement a Mormon ban on Mormon immigration from overseas, um, calling Mormons criminals and whatnot. And, you know, we didn't want that element in America. The Mormon pioneers were basically driven out of every state they tried to settle and ended up in the Utah Violently desert. driven out and mm-hmm. massacred. Yeah. I mean, the, there have been, in, there have been in, multiple Mormon massacres yeah. in, in recent <laughs> sort of like speaking American history, like past hundred in, – in Missouri, in the eighteen, in the late nineteenth century, um, there was an extermination order against the Mormons. The the governor put out basically saying that Mormons needed to be driven out of the state by whatever means necessary. Yeah, I mean, people who don't know American religious history, like this, I remember when I first learned this because it, it's not really talked about. Right. In like, if you just take American history class, you're probably yeah. not going to learn this, mm-hmm. which is that we had like an extermination of a particular religion. Yeah. It happened in a time that wasn't – I mean, that's written history. Like we have good records of yeah. this. We have people bragging about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it happened to this very particular group of people for the singular crime of having to believe – In this, yeah. In this specific <laughs> Well, and religion. it's weird because Mormons grow up learning all this stuff, yeah. right? This is something that like is very much part of our history. It's talked about in church. We learn about it in Sunday school. If you go to Brigham Young University like I did, you – have classes where you you learn about it, right? This is very much part of our history. It's not part of you, you know the history that you learn necessary and necessarily in, in school. And that's not because it's being censored. It's just because it's a pretty small. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, pretty it's, it's a small <laughs> slice of, of of history. It's a small slice of people that it happened to. Mm-hmm. But I think in a country that tells itself all the time that right. it was based on freedom of religion specifically, yeah. and that it has this idea of of you know equality among people and of you know uh, freedom of speech even, we don't talk about this one thing that it was where it was just perfectly okay for people in office to say, yeah, you're going to go. Right. And it wasn't like it was just like mobs doing this. It was literally institutional discrimination. The army too. Yeah. yeah, The the United States (laughs) Army. Yes. We were laughing about this, but these are horrible stories. Like there were multiple massacres of women and children. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a story, I think it's the Missouri story you're talking about, about a, a child, 10-year-old child was the lone remaining survivor. There's a log cabin yeah. um, uh, where this mob, mob that included townspeople, like, you know, militia, militia people. people yeah. um, it was like a turkey. It was like a turkey shoot. Mm-hmm. They put their, their rifle butts into the chinks of the log cabin and just shot. Yeah. And there was a, a 10-year-old child that survived and they cut his throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know this, but. Yeah. Uh, it is astounding to me that most people don't. But then, and because you know it, this is the history that Mormons are thinking about when they see other people persecuted, right? And when they see a demagogue rise up and talk and try to vilify a religious minority in America, 
even if it's not Mormons, they're thinking it could be us next. And, you know, there was I remember in their a churchwide broadcast during the election, I think it was during the election or was right after um, one of the the leaders of the LDS church gave this speech where he said he talked about um, he was talking about the church's refugee relief program. And he was saying um, their history is our history not that long ago. And I remember that really resonated for a lot of people. Um, and so we just so in that way, Mormons just have a fundamentally different view of of Trump style <laughs> populism, quote unquote, or nationalism. Um, and uh, th- that makes that that made a lot of very conservative, very partisan Republican Mormons uh, much more averse to Trump than they they would have been otherwise. Um that so that that's part of the the conversation but then the question is now he's president you know where do mormons go from here where does where do mormon politicians go from here because right? another strand of 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 mormon theology or mormon culture is obedience well right and and not just obedience but there the you know this desire i mean there's this basically throughout our entire history, there's been this yearning to assimilate, to be considered fully American. And that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. Um, but it's it's fundamentally an insecurity, right? And and I think that it, it is one of the reasons that Mormons um, have tried to, once Trump became president, I think he has uh, I don't know what his approval rating is in Utah, but it's a it's above fifty percent. Um, you know, <laughs> sorry. Is, oh, all the way above fifty well, percent. Well, be- that's better than <laughs> that's better than the rest of the country, right? I know. I, there, at the times we live right, in, I, I think I think I, he has a positive <laughs> approval rating. I think this Republican president has in, a, in has the a state of Utah. Approval. Yeah, right. Um, but I but I think there is this desire to say, okay, well, he's the president now. Uh, let's figure out a way to try to 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 give him the benefit of the doubt or work with him or whatever. There's also the reality that I think a lot of uh, never Trump conservatives are confronting, which is all the the most, you know, set if you are able to set aside all the worst things about Trump, which not a lot of people aren't willing to. But if you look at just the policy aims, the you know, the GOP tax cut bill is something that a lot of Mormons support because they're conservatives, right? Because <laughs> the, they are free market I, conservatives. Because the other thing that Mormon the Mormon uh, culture really celebrates is also this free market yeah, it's this ideals. Ca- <laughs> as communitarian as they are, they're also really good capitalists. Well, but the reason that they're good capitalists <laughs> is because they're able to rely on this robust civil society and faith community to provide the social safety net, right? So this is part of the reason that, that Mormons are um, – are, are able and Utah style conservatives are able to reconcile their Christian ideals with their uh, you know small government conservatism is because in Utah it works fairly well because you, you have, have this, this enormous private welfare state. You have the largest private right. welfare state in the country is run by the LDS Church, right? And so for them, they're saying, why can't we just do this everywhere, right? It works great here. <laughs> Megan McArdle felt the same way, as I recall. She went to visit. She right. went to go visit. The one thing— I, he, you, you have a lot of conservatives who, like, make treks to Utah and then say, look, this is—it's working here. So Megan McArdle, new Washington Post opinion columnist, um, conservative columnist formerly for Bloomberg View, she did a story where she went to Utah to write about their food bank program, and— um, it, she said the stuff that conservatives are going to say, which is, well, look at this private yeah. welfare system, how great it works. Um, one thing that's 
alarming about it, though, if you look at the pictures from it, the pictures look like the images from the grocery store in Handmaiden's Tale. Or Handmaid's oh, no. Tale. Because <laughs> there's like these enormous like piles of things and all white. You maybe I, I haven't seen the picture. <laughs> so the Handmaid's Tale, the grocery store is like just it's all generic. Oh yeah, stuff. no, I've seen the handmaid's tale. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah, the pic- yeah. but the pictures look exactly like that. There's like these enormous like white aisles and pristine <laughs> mountains of fruit and like all these white people like shopping. So well, it, it's a lot of whiteness. It's the same maybe way. We, we'll start talking about that. It's the same way, though, that I think that a lot of people point to, like, Scandinavian countries as, like, look, if they can do it, why can't we do it? Like, the reality is it's really easy when you have a very small state, a very small homogenous population, (laughs) very little diversity. Um, It's easy to kind of, you know, be in control of of societal ills and be on top of them. I mean, Utah had, like— a few years ago got a lot of attention for their approach to homelessness, which was— give homes to all the homeless people, you know? But that's because it's it's a relatively small city. There are not that many homeless people. It was a problem that they could just figure out. Although you know? I'm also in favor of the of solving the problem of homelessness of giving, by giving people yeah, homes. It, 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 it has a certain appeal, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a certain... It's been shown to work. So you also, you also can... We, we, the last episode, we, I talked about this with an actual poor person, that like also you can do a lot for poverty by giving people money. By giving people cash, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It works. It, it turns works. out that poor people need money mostly. Um, yeah, so – but but that's one of the things also that makes Utah such an interesting test case is not just that while conservatives have a lot to point to, you know, people on the left also point to it has the flattest income distribution in the uh, in the country, the, the least amount of income inequality. There's an actual middle class in Utah, right? And there is an ethic that other, you know, kind of flavors of American culture don't have, which is that – Yes, they embrace capitalism, but the wealth is not the point. Right, right. It's um, the, it's the industriousness. Yes, it's the that literally Utah is called the beehive state. Um, the entire ethos of of early Mormonism and still modern Mormonism is this idea of hard work mm-hmm. and industriousness, and the the there is you know there's an element of prosperity gospelness to it, but not it's not central to the idea. The main idea is working hard and producing something is is you know part of what human humanity is all about. And ostentatious and, displays of wealth are not no cool. not not cool <laughs> not. So is Romney going to give up his car elevator? That is my question. <laughs> I, I don't think he even lives there anymore. Right. He lives in the, you know, he lives in the house in, uh, in, in outside of Salt Lake. Um, but I mean, even Mitt Romney, he doesn't like the Austin. I mean, what, he flies, he flies commercial. He doesn't like the. I'm just, know, and I just did my picture of Romney flying a commercial. They're all, <laughs> well, there's so many. If you go search Mitt Romney on Twitter, there's Pretty so Romney many Airport. photos of Mitt Romney. Yeah, Mitt Romney Airport. <laughs> it's just him like standing in line, like at the baggage claim, just like by himself. You know, like this guy is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He just, you know, that that is very much part of the Mormon ethos yeah. as well. All right, so we're gonna take a short break and. Um, I do some industriousness um, of my own in reading ads, and uh, we'll be right back. So I'm actually recording this ad while I am on a trip. I am in Washington, D.C. to cover CPAC. I don't get back to Washington very much. Uh, it's actually often to cover CPAC when I do come back, and you'll hear more about that next week. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about just the way that I travel. Um, I love traveling. I love traveling for work. I love traveling for fun. I have rituals that I perform on the road. Um, 
like the way that I unpack, the way that I lay my toiletries out in the bathroom. Um, I have certain snacks that I like to bring with me. Um, but I do all of those things so that I can have a sense of connection between all of my trips that allows me to enjoy what's different about them. Uh, what's different about this trip, for instance, is I can see a Ferris wheel outside my window and I can see the Chesapeake Bay. It is a privilege to be able to see all the things that I've seen and to travel the way that I've traveled. And I never want to stop doing it. I hope I'm always grateful for it. And I'm proud to have Tripping uh, to be a sponsor of my show. Tripping.com is the world's number one site for vacation rentals, trusted by millions of travelers and featured by the New York Times, Travel and Leisure, Forbes, and more. Um, It's for the kind of travel I don't get to do all the time, but I wish I could do more of. Uh, Vacation rentals are the way to go usually, right? Um, And at Tripping.com, OneSearch lets you filter, compare, and sort over 10 million available properties from trusted sites such as as VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and more. Don't wonder if you're getting the best deal on that winter cabin or beachfront home. You'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. So don't forget, if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation rental for your next trip, head to Tripping.com slash friends today. That's Tripping.com slash friends. So McKay... We mentioned earlier, you yourself are a member of the LDS Church, the Jesus, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, Christ of the Latter Day Saints. Thank you. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because so we both have are open about our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, open. It's it's such a only sitting here in D.C. Do I realize how weird that sounds? <laughs> right. Like because I think. Because I actually am from the South and Midwest, and you're from Utah? Or you? I was born there, but I grew up in Massachusetts. Okay, so, so. maybe you all, but you went to school at, in at, Utah. In yeah, Utah. So we both come from places, or have experienced places where talking about your faith or having an assumption that you go to church is actually the norm. Right. Like, yeah. of course you're a Mormon. Mm-hmm. Of course you go to church. Um, but here in D.C., it's like a it's it's like having an unusual birthmark or right. <laughs> or maybe an accent. I'm trying to figure out like what the right thing is. Yeah, like or like a really quirky hobby. You it, know? That's exactly like what if it you is. were like really into curling. Yeah. Like, like people be like, Oh, that's interesting. Really? Yeah, huh. You do that on the weekends? Yeah. Like, and so so the, so it is something so it is weird you are known for it, but one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you though is because I heard you being interviewed by Glenn Beck. Prominent Mormon. Yes. Prominent right-wing Mormon. <laughs> right yes. Mormon. About your Mike Pence profile. And at one point, he said something to you, which uh, it was clear you had a bad connection in yeah, more not... ways than one, perhaps. Um, and so, because I, I don't think you responded, but he said something to you like, so do, like, so, so in the liberal media, like, do people, like, make fun of you for being Mormon? And I get that a lot, too. Like, when yeah. people, conservatives talk to me about, like, so you in the, you're in the liberal media, I bet you're liberal colleagues make fun of you. Yeah. But that's not my experience. No, me neither. But do a lot of people ask, do people make that oh, assumption? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mormons do. I mean, not Mormons in D.C. because they all have the same experience, <laughs> right? But like certain, like when I go back to Utah and visit with family or whatever, they'll ask that question. Um, when I speak at BYU, sometimes students, especially students who grew up in the U- Utah or other heavily Mormon states will ask that question. 
Yeah, it's a funny assumption. There's like it's. It, I mean, it speaks to like the depressing nature of like the culture wars that like you just assume like, oh, of course they're the enemy. They must like hate you because you go to church. Um, my experience is not that. <laughs> my experience is that, mo- like you said, people treat it like a curiosity. Most people don't care. Some people ask really detailed questions and take an interest. And I I like that. I You know, I'm like flattered by that, that they're interested and I like having those conversations. I think that um, I was like especially conditioned for this growing up in like a liberal suburb of Boston as a Mormon when I was one of very, very few Mormons in my high school. Um, and it was a fairly secular place. And I learned how to navigate that. I mean, it is true that, like, I remember growing up uh, sitting at, like, cafeteria tables and having – listening to people have conversations about Mormonism that were – there weren't that many. But, you know, Mitt Romney was our governor. <laughs> so there, it would come up for that reason. Elizabeth Smart, when she was kidnapped, that's when I was in – I think I was in high school during that time. That became – that was a uh, – uh, you know, a thing people would talk about. So there were like there there were these moments, the South Park episode about Mormons everyone would always talk about. And I learned how to like figure out how to respond to that stuff um without coming off as as too preachy or proselytizing, but also um without, you know, hiding from it. It's funny. I actually thought of the other analogy for this, which is that so I didn't grow up in in the religion. I grew up in religious places, but not having religion myself. But I was like a little punk rocker, and this sort of <laughs> reminds me. This that's actually prepared me for being a Christian. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it was like having weird taste in yeah. music and wearing my hair funny. <laughs> <laughs> like I got used to people like, "What are you? What are you right, listen to? Right. What? Like what? What's the band you're listening to? <laughs> that sounds like noise." Yeah. Um, <laughs> But also, again, my experience, at least as a Christian in, you know, media as an adult has been, for the most part, people are curious and often curious in a way that is not just respectful, but open. Yeah. Like, I get a sense from a lot of people, maybe it's especially in these times, like, people are like, so, that God thing. Yeah. Does that, does that help? (laughs) Is that... Does that make you feel better? <laughs> it's, yeah, well, so this is funny because I, you know, I was, a, I served as a Mormon missionary. So, like, I had an experience ha- where it was. to do? Yeah. You don't have to, but you're, expe- okay. if you're, a, you're expected to or, or it's, you know, strongly encouraged. What percentage of people don't do it? I don't know because it's like what percentage of Mormons are actually active. Like, the, okay. the people who go but to church. But you did it, okay. Most of, mo- I would say most young men who go to church on a regular basis, go okay. do this. Okay. So I spent two years in Texas. Didn't, not my Some choice. missionary. Very exotic. <laughs> Although it really was. I, Although, I learned yeah, to mission- speak Spanish. I was working with immigrants. It was it was not like, a, you know, I wasn't like living in like a nice Dallas okay. condo or whatever. Or in France. Like, <laughs> um, like, like, like Mitt. Like Mitt. Although I'm sure he had <laughs> rough periods too. It's, you don't have very much money and you don't bring your own money. So it's like a very, you know, you're basically given a small stipend to live on. The only time in my life I've been hungry on a regular basis was being a Mormon missionary I, when we would just run out of money and I'd have to eat like pot, microwave popcorn for lunch. Um, but I do like because of that, I have a an experience with proselytizing that was almost professionalized. Like the, you know, when you're a Mormon missionary, you're fully in that mode. And then after you come back from your mission and you're just living normal life, you're always trying to navigate, like, I'm sure you're like this too. Like, 
what kind of interest is this? Are they, is this an academic interest where I should shift into Mormon pundit mode or Mormon scholar mode? Or is this a religious, a spiritual interest where I should try to speak on a more personal level about my faith? Like I never really know how to navigate that. And, and I'm always trying to assess like how, what, you know, what is this question about? You know, what are they trying to, but I have noticed, I think you're right now that you say that I have noticed in the last year or so in these uncertain times of ours <laughs> that it seems like people are more curious in a general way, not just in a like, oh, tell me about Mormon culture. Or what's the deal with the that, underwear? It sure seems weird. Yeah. No, but like actually like, so what do you like, what do you believe? You know, like what, what, what is it about Mormonism that you like? Like, what does it do for you? you and, and that is leads us to my next question. Cause so I have come to believe about, you know, um, in my spiritual journey, the thing that was the most effective as far as proselytizing was sharing my own experience. Yeah. And I talk, I say this on the show all the time, which is that I borrow from Alcoholics Anonymous, whose tenant is this is a program of attraction, not promotion. Mm. Like the way that the best way to proselytize is to share your own experience and talk about where you what 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 my faith has done for me. Yeah. And it and, and say and if you it might do that for you. too. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> what is, so okay. go, go. Why should um, I become a Mormon now? Oh man, I'm not. I, I, I'm not going to go that go that hard. Though, look, if you're interested, <laughs> I have this pamphlet. I, I, Weird. McKay just brought to. out a pamphlet. It's strange. <laughs> In a book. I mean, listen, anyone who's interested, I'm on Twitter. DM me. Email me. I am happy to have that conversation. No, because there is a scorekeeping that goes on. Uh, no, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would people be happy for me? Yeah, sure. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, at look. The, at the back, at, back, the, back at the ward, they've got the blackboard with, like, <laughs> sales this month. <laughs> just got my tally, my tally marks. If I get to 15 this year, Steak then knives? I get a set of safe knives. Yeah, exactly. No, um, for me, I mean, there's so much. It, it's hard because it so fully defines my conception of myself and also how I respond to things in my life. Um, it's, you know, the, like, I, I think that there are a lot of different threads you could follow here. But for me, the the comfort of prayer is mm-hmm. something that has probably done more for me than than almost any other element of, of my faith. Just when I, you know, when hard things are happening to me or when I have hard decisions to make or when I've been in a and when I'm in situations where I'm genuinely afraid or concerned or whatever, the feeling that I have this very intimate human connection to a, a heavenly father as Mormons prefer to, to God um, makes a huge difference for me. Just the the kind of conversational prayer that you can have and the feeling that you can um the 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 feeling the the feeling of peace and solace that you can find there um and that's not unique to mormonism at all <laughs> um but it's ha- but the mormon conception of god and the mormon conception of eternity and the afterlife afterlife and the and our purpose on earth all of that really speaks to me um and then there's also i think the other quick thing i would mention is so I have a family. I'm married. I have two kids. Another one on the way. Um, Congratulations! <laughs> I didn't you. know that. Do my wife's due in April. Um, 
Mormonism really the theology keeping up with the Mormon like <laughs> yeah right we, you know, gotta, we need to have two more that's the, other, that's the other tally board <laughs> um, yeah, no um, but the, but it's funny you say that we, Mormons do have a lot of kids and part of that is the entire theology is built around the idea of family it really is like um, Mormons believe it, that a big part of the afterlife really the central idea of afterlife is that you spend it with family. Um, and so when you get married in a Mormon temple, as I did with my wife, you're you're married for time and all eternity. And the idea is that we have this eternal relationship, this eternal marriage, um, and our kids are going to be with us in some way through, throughout eternity. And so I, I think for me, ha- thinking about my family in those terms and thinking about my wife in those terms, um, it helps me keep a perspective about my life, you know, like real, I mean, I, I, and again, I, I, I'm not a Mormon supremacist here. I'm not saying that this is, you know, this is only found in my faith tradition, but it is found in my faith tradition. Weirdly, like right? Mormons are not, there's not a supremacy sort of idea in Mormonism. Like there is sort of an acknowledgement of, of other Well, there's, yeah. Faiths. Oh, definitely. And other, um, the legitimacy of other faiths. Mm-hmm. The, but the, it's complicated. I mean, you want to convert it's people. It's complicated. We, we convert but, people. But there's also a belief that there's truth in all these all these other faiths and um, and that, you know, there's Mormonism was only the church was only established in the 19th century. So there's, yeah. you know, we were taught when I was a Mormon missionary that for, you know, in all the centuries between Jesus Christ's death and the reestablishment of the church, the God's work was being done by all these other faiths and all these, uh, you know, we did, we learned about Muhammad. We learned right. about, Joseph you know, Smith uh, read the Quran. And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. He spoke uh-huh. favorably of it. and uh, like, spoke favorably of Muslims. Yeah, he, yeah exactly. He compared <laughs> the, the Mormon's plight to Muslims, yeah, I think as a matter of fact. The, the Muhammadists is what they call yeah. them. So, you know, they're figuring well. it out. But, but anyway. <laughs> Um, but, but still this idea that my, that, um, like the thing at the end of my life that is going to matter is my relationship to my family helps, helps me navigate the rest of my life. And it also gives a sense of perspective that, you know, all these other things that are happening in the world are, you know, I have to be engaged in them. Um, and I should be, and I should try to do as much good as I can, but, that ultimately if my relationship with my kids and my wife is good, if I'm being good and decent to them and we're, and I'm, we're teaching each other, then I'm doing okay. That I think that that's something that, that matters a lot to me. I had a conversation with Evan McMullen actually once off the air, but not off the record um, about the eternal Mm. and, and how important that is. Cause we were talking, it was actually before Trump was elected. um, We were talking about, um, what it is that helps one find in oneself the capacity to resist um, demagogues, Trump specifically, but like how, what makes some people, some conservatives, some liberals, whatever, like what is the distinguishing feature that helps someone decide, you know what, what is happening right now is wrong and I need to do something about it. And the thing that he and I kept on circling back to was the idea that there are some things that matter more than whatever my immediate circumstances are. Yeah. And there are some things I'm going to be judged on that are more important than my immediate circumstances. That's so interesting. And that's certainly true for me. Um, Yeah, I also wonder – I mean I would ask you – like I'm curious about your experience with this. Like do you feel like – you, do you separate your faith from your 
like your political work or your journalism and your your professional life, or are they just like inextricably intertwined? I think they're inextricably. I think they're inextricably (laughs) intertwined for everyone, and I think that separating them is just a matter of like how you speak about them and the context the context you're in, and whether or not it's appropriate to to bring up, you know, your personal (laughs) political or or religious ideology. Sure. Um, I mean, I've talked about this before. I think I I am very open about being a Christian because I and, and my and the fact that I'm also very liberal, you know tending towards Chapo Democrat Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I really thought, especially growing up in the South and the Midwest, that being a Christian was meant that you were conservative in some way. Right. And that liberal ideas – I mean I I knew about hippie preachers and stuff and like Jesus freaks, but like it it just seemed like if I wanted to be a real Christian, I was going to have to like accept some political agenda that doesn't fit with what I really believe. And it was seeing – how the Christ that I believe in has a lot of this, you know, fits in with the values I already had, mm-hmm. you know, um, and in fact gives me ways to think about those values that are a little deeper than I than I had been thinking about. Yeah, see that, and that's that. That's so true. I think that you know, like we I, we've spent a lot of time talking about Mormon conservatism. I should also note that I some to, of yes. the most liberal people, <laughs> my, probably my most progressive friends, right. are Mormon. You know, that I mean, there are there is political variance within Mormonism, and in fact, you go back through Mormon history, so there was a strong socialist streak in early Mormon history. That communitarian um, aspect doesn't necessarily lead to private welfare, right? It, right, exactly. I mean, there because essentially there was a th- the Mormons set up a theocratic government when they were you know exiled from the United States, and it was strongly socialistic. It was essentially you know. Uh, essentially communist. <laughs> right. But um, – Yeah, I mean very little private property. Yeah, like, essentially every, like high was, taxation. Yes, right. You know? Everyone was chipping in. Everyone was give, you know, giving everything to the, the government and then they would distribute it how, to the most needy, you know. Um, and then there were the same problems <laughs> with that, <laughs> with Mormon, Mormon socialism as there have been other yeah. places. But I uh, – but yeah, I mean I, I think that the thing that connects – all the most the the Mormon conservatives, Mormon socialists, Mormon leftists that I know is that all of them think about this stuff with an eternal perspective, like you said. All of them are thinking about thinking about it in some deep way that um, and, and it informs all of them. I mean, Harry Reid famously gave a speech at BYU called "Why I'm a Democrat" or "Why I'm a Mormon Democrat" or "Why Mormons Should Be Democrats" or something like that, and and kind of made that case. And I think that you can make that case. I think you can make the, all kinds of cases. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, Mormonism is you know, and, and Christianity in general, I think is telling people to reach in reach for something more and to be something more all, right all religions seem to have that as their core that's mm-hmm. the truth of all i mean a lot of major religions have you ever tried a kind bar i literally just had one <laughs> and i didn't even know they were going to be in a sponsor of the show today um i bought it at a, i bought a pack of them at a convenience store a little ways away from this hotel because I knew I would want to have like something healthy to eat during the few days that I'm here that I wouldn't have to go to a vending machine um, and that I knew would be tasty. So I bought a whole package of Kind Bars and I basically had one for dinner. 
and it was tasty and and good for me. And I am happy to say that they are, again, a sponsor of the show. And you can try 10 different Kind Bars for free if you like. All you have to do is pay for shipping. You just order a sample box of Kind Bars. And with that, you will also get to try Kind's Snack Club where you will receive monthly snacks at a discount and get members-only bonuses. You shouldn't have to choose between your health and taste when it comes to snacking, and that's why both award-winning chefs and nutritionists love and recommend Kind Bars. I tried their tin snack sample box, and I personally loved the really uh, the spicy ones they had. There's a, a chili one, I believe a Korean barbecue one, Korean chili one. Uh, dark chocolate is also in there and sea salt. I like the bars that combine kind of sweet and savory. The one I just had was one of their breakfast bars, um, blueberry. I also got a box of their peanut butter breakfast bars. But to get your free sample box, go to kindsnacks.com slash friends. That's kindsnacks.com slash friends. I want to thank Kind for sponsoring the podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help support this podcast. Thanks. Again, sort of going back a little bit about you personally, um, you saying you're getting a lot out of prayer and contact with a higher power and, mm-hmm. and that being very grounding for you. I'm going to put you on the spot not to recruit me, but I am curious. So when is the last time you prayed? This morning. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it's a daily. Th- it's a daily thing for me. Um, and sometimes they're very quick. I mean, you know, sometimes they're very quick prayers about uh, you know, parking I, spaces. I mean, that <laughs> <laughs> I try to avoid those. Though I will. I will confess to sometimes in a bar- and I'm in a jam. I'll ask. I prayed before going on this this podcast. That's funny. I, I actually. I, I was going to share. So the last time I prayed was actually before Morning Joe this morning. Like, yeah, I was on Morning Joe. I didn't pray before the podcast because I'm comfortable. <laughs> you, you felt okay with this. I felt okay with this, but like I was going to talk about gun violence and mental health, yeah. and I was like, God, let me speak. You know, speak through me. Well, so this is one of my most common prayers. Most recently, has been asking God to help me speak truth when mm-hmm. I'm on whatever. You know, even if I'm just punditizing on. MSNBC or CNN or going on a podcast or going on the radio. I mean, some people are going to be so weirded out by this. I know. I know. I get it. And the thing is, but it's not, but it's not, I don't think of now, now that means that I'm here speaking right. prophetically as though God is, it, it's really, it's just like, help me like have a clear mind and like say, say something true here. Right. And it is not a religious truth. Most of the time it's just like, I'm trying to make sense of something, some political news story or whatever. I get that people think it's weird. If you don't have a religious background, you think you definitely think it's weird. <laughs> but um, but I think it's the same. It's similar to what a lot of people do, right? If you're you you try to center yourself, you're trying. If you if it helps if it helps the secular listeners to think about it in terms of meditation or just um, you know whatever, just trying to clear your mind. That that's fine for me. Feeling like there's somebody listening on the other side helps me. And I was going to point out that that, that is a through line um, between uh, one of the things that I shouldn't say is a through line between Mormonism and Christianity because Mormons are Christian, <laughs> but it's a through line. Protestant in, Christianity, yeah, Protestant evangelical. Christianity, and, and well, especially evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. um, is that there is a direct connection. Like yeah. we were talking about that earlier, having that comfort and that direct connection. And I've said before, like my conception of my higher power. Um, I don't believe in a bellhop God. Like I don't b- right. believe in like a, a, a <laughs> something like ding, ding, I need your help with this parking space. And he'll just, it'll just make materialize. And, and yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm with you. On and that. I don't really, yeah. really believe in like a human mm. 
what I believe is in something that a heavenly father is a great image for it, um, that I can seek to be connected to. Yeah. And trust that the guidance is not always going to be guidance that I understand or guidance that makes sense to me, but that there is a, th- a way to be connected to the universe. And yeah. if I seek that connection and have faith in it, I'm I'm going to be – it's going to be better than if I didn't. That's what, Maybe that's the, that sounds like a silly way to put it, but – But no, it's true. You, you've made me totally self-conscious about how this is, this is all going to sound. <laughs> people are going to think we're free. They are going to think we're so weird, but also like <laughs> – I, people have thought I'm weird my whole life. It's okay. <laughs> like I guess I'm 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 at peace with it. But I mean, look, like the the thing about fa- and then I do think that I mean meditation is great. And you know, I had a conversation with Dan Harris for yeah. the crooked conversations about about meditation. And I do think a lot of the benefits of prayer are sort of scientifically shown to be kind of related to the benefits mm-hmm. of meditation. Yeah. Like they're very in the brain, they look very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that people who are secular can probably be like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. That's like meditation. But there is something different mm-hmm. about believing in a power, an order, um, a, a kind of guidance that I think is, it means more to me than, I also meditate. Same. No, yeah. Same. <laughs> but they're different. But they're different things. Yeah, I don't meditate that much. I've tried it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get the benefits, but I also think I get those benefits from prayer. You probably so, do, yeah. So I'm okay with it. But, um, but yeah, like, this is, I mean, the, the thing that I always try to explain people when I can get to this level of a conversation with someone who's secular or doesn't, you know, have a religious background is that, like— there is a whole there are many conversations to be had about the power structures of religion and the intermingling of politics and religion and how and I know that people have been hurt by um by Mormonism and by, by Christianity, Christianity in general and Christianity too again I, I know Christianity we're getting, we're getting in general. there. We'll I'm, get, get, I'm getting there. <laughs> um but like I and I and I And the Mormon Church has that. had some very specific and sure. recent well, yeah, we'll get into that. But the, the, I, I was going to say actually about that. The Rob Porter, yeah. um, Rob Porter, the White House staffer who turned out to is or accused, allegedly abused his wives, um, is I Mormon. I actually did not know that. Wow. You didn't know he was Mormon? No. Oh, yeah. This is a, this, that of was course. what I thought you were referring to. Oh, no. I was, con- I was referring to like the, sy- the systemic um, bigotry in Mormonism the, uh, that it has had oh, the, in the fa- relatively yeah, yeah. recent. The, the not allowing uh, black people to even be black members, men to of, have the members ch- of the. Well, they were always allowed to be members, but receive the priesthood. They weren't members. Were and allowed also to be the anti gay marriage stuff. Uh-huh. And um, I understand, and, and like I fully respect people who have those experiences and I've had lots of friends who have left the church over those things and I don't you know my actually my roommate uh at BYU uh and and best friend and still a good friend came out to me as gay when we were roommates and um you know I I I fully respect that and so the, all those conversations are worthy and they should be had and you know, I think people will find that Mormons are actually pretty open to having those conversations and the church is still a young church and they're still working a lot of these things out. But I also think that faith yeah, is a very— I, I hadn't really thought about this, but I'm gonna, it, yeah, it took you in a sort of— if you think about it, since founding of church, um, how long it's taken the Mormon church to address some of its systemic— <laughs> right. 
uh, discrimination versus founding of church and how long it's take Christians to address yeah, it. Right, right. You're, you're right. They're more, we're, we're, you're we're on it. All right? we're, we're, we're trying to move. We're, we're, mo- we're making progress. It still seems very slow, but in the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, uh, it's been you've been right on it. And, and I mean, the rea- but, but the thing I – just to complete the point, right. the thing I always try to explain to people is that faith also – is a very personal experience for people. And th- that when people think it's funny to make jokes about Mormon underwear or to make jokes about, oh, how many wives do you have? Or, or even better jokes than that, which there are better jokes. The my, underwear my biggest, one is pretty, my, pretty funny. But my you know, my right, biggest oh. plea is just come up with better material, yeah. new, new material. But, you know— you're not the the reason that Mormon. The, a lot of the time, I'll confront people who are liberal minded and will make those jokes, and I'll be like, "Come on, man! Like that's not cool." And they'll be like, "Well, your church is blah blah blah," and they'll list the grievances about the church, the church's politics, or the church's history with racism. And I'll say, "That's fine," but when you're attacking that, you're not just attacking an institution. You're not attacking, um, you know, a political agenda. You're attacking people's in individual experiences with faith. That's how people are reading it. And that's true of any other religious minority. You just have to be careful. The reason, the thing I was going to say about Rob Porter is that Mormons, like a lot of, of religious course, minorities, Mormons would know that he is, yeah, he is right. Mormon. But well, I don't I, think it's been a huge part of the coverage. It actually hasn't. It's been in some stories, but we live in this. I mean, perennial, I did saw that he worked for Orrin Hatch, and I knew that's a little like that. that probably many was Mormon. <laughs> I mean, um, it is that it, there is a sort of tendency for people. I mean. Yeah. No, that's they true. Stick Come together. On. Yeah. I feel bad. No, about Mormons are tightly networked like yeah, yeah, any yeah. other right. any other group. But that we live in this fear that we're going to be defined by whoever the most famous Mormon is at the mm. moment. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of liberals think it's okay to bash Mormons is because they Mormonism is defined in their minds by Mitt Romney and Proposition Eight in in, in California, right? Um and, you know, right then when the Rob Porter thing, I remember so many Mormons I talked to were like, oh, please don't let it become like a big part of the story. Well, now, Mormons. McKay, you've made it. And now it's my fault. I know, story. I know. Well, no, I, but this is when, when we were talking about you coming on the show. One of the things I wanted to address is that I do feel like um, making fun of Mormons is one of those things that liberals, specifically progressives, do without without even like – Thinking about it yeah. is this totally safe, you know, um, you know, repository of not very good jokes. Um, some of them are probably good. I can't so there, think there are some it. good ones. Like I'll, 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 be, I'll be the fair. first time someone made the Mitt versus um, Trump. How many wives? <laughs> that, that was clever. That was, was really smart. funny. Yeah. That first time was really funny. Um, but people do make jokes about um, LDS Church in in a way that they wouldn't make the jokes about. Uh, Jewish church or uh, Muslims or almost any other. I do think I will say that and I'll call out, you know, my people that that there are also jokes about evangelical Christians that get made by liberals that are based on evangelical beliefs Mm -hmm. that we would not make about other, you know, minority religions. Sure. Um, I I, I agree. (laughs) You're right. You are totally right. You're right. I mean. I agree. And it's the I joking think the that happens. Oh, it's funny. Like we were talking, we started off talking about like how do people in our in our professional communities, whether or not they mock us or, or or belittle us, they don't. You're right. For the most part, when they're trying to us personally, there's very little mocking. Or, totally. Or, but it's the like overhearing. Yeah. The yes. jokes. Yeah. And that and that's where you have to decide like how do what do I do here? What do I do in that situation? It, and it is it's hard because it, it's the same with Mormons. I think probably same of, of at least white evangelicals. Like. 
we're not in modern America. We're not an oppressed right. group of people, right? Like there are a lot of bigger prob- bigger fish to fry, right? But I think that I think that there is this idea that like Mormons are safe to make fun of, and I think conservative religious oh predominantly conservative religious groups in general are safe to make fun of. Um, because it seems like they're so privileged, right? Like, and there they, is something to that. Right, there, that's what there I'm definitely it, is. It, it is true, but I think, it, like, you know, Mormons are overwhelmingly white. They're overwhelmingly middle class. They're overwhelmingly college educated. There's the, you know, the the. And they have to be straight. And <laughs> well, they have. They're not all straight. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, but, that's some bad news for the Mormon yeah. Church. Um, yeah. But there's. But I think there's a difference between making fun of, you know, middle class white men and or making, making fun, of, fun of them because of their Mormonism. Right. Which there's is a difference, the difference between making fun of privilege right. and making fun of people for their beliefs. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because actually, you catch a lot of other people in that. Right? right. Like Mormons, there are more Mormon members of the Mormon church now, the LDS church outside of the United States than inside. There are. There's huge growth in Latin America, huge Mormon populations in, in Latin and Central America and Africa, uh, you know, to just make fun of Mormon magic underwear or whatever. Like you're you're that that joke is hitting a lot of targets that you're probably not aiming at. And that you wouldn't if you, again, are sort of a civil liberties minded right. progressive liberal person, you wouldn't want yeah. want to hit. And I just think that it's a matter of awareness. That's why, I mean, you know. If they just thought about it a little more, <laughs> I think they would probably be like, oh, yeah, that's Maybe probably not I probably shouldn't do Maybe that. I shouldn't <laughs> do it. All right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this conversation <laughs> helped, helped yeah. raise the that awareness you know. a little bit. I gotta exactly. get, I got to get the NBC like, the more you know. <laughs> thank, you so, you know thank you so much um, for coming on. Like, I know you're not – this is, again, for neither of us are uh, – Again, it feels so strange to even talk about it in terms of being like out, open or out about religions, but it's it isn't. You don't get a lot of space to really talk about it. You don't, and I, I was nervous a little bit before coming on because well, yeah, I understand you prayed. I yes, that's how scared I was. <laughs> no, I mean I told you before that I was a little nervous yeah. just because I'm not. I don't do this that much. Yeah, so. I, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Well, keep coming on. Well, I mean, we'll probably have to have you back once you know Mitt Romney uh, <laughs> is elected to the Senate and does nothing. So we have to okay. come out and explain it. Um, so. I, I will be happy to continue Romney explain uh, whenever you want me to. All right. Thanks, McKay. Thank you. And that is it for the show. Uh, my usual shout out to everyone who listened to the very, very end. Thank you, super fans. Do your duty. Go to iTunes, rate and review. Tell your friends, uh, tell your relatives, um, tell people on the street how much you love the show. Uh, every single download is appreciated. And I will also add every single email is appreciated. I got a lot of wonderful responses to my closing essay uh, in last week's show about mental health uh, and our discussions about the shooting in Florida and mass shootings in general. And thank you, everyone. I had a better week this week. I hope you all did too. There is something to have hope about these days. And it's the kids that you see on the news today. Be well. See you next week. (laughs) 